Well, good evening everyone. It's good to see you. Hope you had a good week. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, we'll go to Genesis chapter 11. And the end of the chapter through into chapter 12. Um, I mean, God uses, in the Old Testament, he used Pharaoh, didn't he? In the Old Testament, he used Darius the Mede. In the Old Testament, he used Cyrus the Persian. I mean, it's utterly unheard of that a, a pagan king could return the holy uh, items of furniture connected with the tabernacle and give grants to the Jews to go back to their own land. It was totally off the frame. And God can do this. It's amazing. And here in Genesis, actually in chapter 14, God uses the king of Sodom. <laughs> Abraham speaks to the king of Sodom in Genesis 14. Well, here's chapter 11 and verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from here, and he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there on he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and con continued toward the Negev. So we're going to look on these few occasions uh, next week and another time um, a bit on Old Testament characters and Abram was an old man. And next week we'll look at Joseph, a young man and then have a wee look at Moses, a national leader and so on. But there's hesitancy about the Old Testament because the product has become undermined. There's, I don't think hardly any colleges in Britain now where they would teach that the Bible is the word of God absolutely from cover to cover. Very few. I don't know how, which college I would recommend. I mean, there's two possibly. The Highland Theological College and the Belfast Bible College are probably two places I would recommend to young people. Otherwise, it's a bit like Graham. Graham works for a firm. And he's to represent his firm and promote his firm. It's like having a sales meeting. And the boss man gets up 
and starts undermining the product. And that's what they're doing in these colleges. They're undermining the product. So you get folk who are up in pulpits, who are leading Christian work, who don't believe in the product. They're undermining the product. That's, just, that's what's happening. And they say, do you don't believe that stuff, do you? You know, I met a, a, a minister, I've told you about him. And he said, do you believe any of that stuff in the Gospels, George? And I said, I believe the whole thing. He said, I don't think we've got a word that Jesus spoke in the Gospels. He says, but these daft old bats I minister to, I know Graham doesn't think of you like this, but <laughs> I know that these daft old bats I minister to expect me to speak as if this stuff was true. So on a Sunday I give them a quarter of an hour of what they like to hear, and the rest of the week's my own. Now that was the attitude of somebody who's a Christian leader. He left his ministry a job to become a lecturer in a college training men for the ministry. And then he went to Australia to be principal of a college training folk for the ministry and got booted out for his radical views, I'm happy to say, and came home to Scotland with his tail between his legs, as far as I know. Um, so don't, you can't believe all this stuff. And there's a whole school of what used to be called higher critical thought about the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Um, and the, the kind of rationale behind it is that first of all man is the measure of all things including the Bible everything everything is under our jurisdiction we're clever enough to figure out things and get them sorted out and from the time of Darwin and the, the evolutionary theory promoted by Darwin which incidentally he backed off before he died if you, if you didn't know that but he taught the principles of evolution and what they did was they took the principles of evolution and applied them to the Bible. And they said just as there are evolutionary processes at work in the species of the world, so it is in religion. That we started off as pagans and then became polydemonists and then we became henotheists and then we became monotheists and the whole subjects of the Old Testament uh, are subject to the principles of revolution. Evolution, sorry, not revolution. And they, they deny miracles. Say, how can a miracle happen? You know, everything happens according to the laws of physics, you know. And yet, we could say scientists have much, as much to do with the creation of truth as clocks have to do with the creation of time. Clocks are just there to record the time. Scientists are just there to evaluate and codify stuff. They're just recorders, really. Um, and they deny that miracles are there. And if you see prophecies, they say, well, these prophecies, how can they possibly be able to talk about things that are going to happen two generations after them, like the Old Testament prophets did? And they say, these must have been written in later. So if you get a prophecy, you say, well, this is a later editorial edition by a different hand and you get to Isaiah which is 66 chapters they say there are actually three Isaiahs did you know that? there's Isaiah of Jerusalem chapters 1 to 39 basically there's um, 
Do you to know Isaiah? He's the second Isaiah, chapters 41 to 55. And then there's Trito Isaiah, chapters 56 to 66. We don't have one Isaiah, we've got three Isaiahs. And they've got absolutely no basis for this except their study of the manuscripts and their judgment as to what belongs where. And so you get layered writing like this. Um, and there's hesitancy there has been if you look at Abraham and the textbooks about Abraham in the beginning of the 20th century sort of envisage him crawling out of his cave to go and do what God wanted him to do the, the facts couldn't be further from what they believed at that time because the facts are the city of Ur of the Chaldees was well past its zenith as a city by the time of Abraham. 3000 BC um, was around about the time of the top uh, influence of, of Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham lived probably between 2000 and 1800 BC, a thousand years later. Um, and far from crawling out of his cave, he left a swinging city to go where God told him to go, not knowing where he was going. Um, he, he moved by faith. And when the, uh, the archaeologists come on the field, they're able to tell us a whole lot of stuff. Especially uh, English archaeologists or American archaeologists quite often funded from America between the wars and before that um, for example uh, Sir Flinders Petrie how can one fail with a name like Sir Flinders Petrie now Sir Flinders Petrie he was a clever archaeologist and he used to dig a trench when he came to an old archaeological site he would dig a trench and he would examine all the layers in the trench and give you a brief potted history of that Settlement and that civilization. Um, I think back to the days of when I was a milk boy uh, with the Scottish Farmers Dairy Company, and uh, on a Saturday the boys were allowed to buy a cake. So of course I used to buy a cake on Saturday, and uh, <laughs> the cake had icing in the top, and then it had cream, and then it had sponge. And then I had a different kind of sponge, and I had a pastry base. You know, you got all the layers. Well, Sir Flinders Petrie used to do, he developed um, the science of examining the trenches. And if you found a layer that was water-laid clay with no uh, pieces of pottery or anything else in it, then that city was flooded at that period in its history. And when Leonard, Sir Leonard Woolley went to um, excavate out of the Chaldees from 1924 to 1928, um, he discovered a layer of clay up to 12 feet thick in the layers. And he said well, there was major flooding. Of course, immediately the the gospel folk said, oh, uh, the flood, this backs up what the Bible says. And sometimes we're a wee bit hasty in what they did. But if you, say, if you find a layer of dust, the, the settlement was, wasn't peopled by civilization at that time. It was left vacant. Or if you find a layer of ash, 
the city had been burned to the ground and, and the, the, the sedimentary ash that was left there in the layers told you something about the history of the city. Are you with me so far? <laughs> Absolutely triggered. <laughs> well, people like Petrie and people like uh, Sir Leonard Woolley and Woolley was, he was very clever when he came to art. He discovered out of the Caldees had two-story tenements and mains drainage. Would you believe that? 2,000 years before the time of our Lord. It took us to the 20th century or the 19th century to get decent drainage in our towns. The Edinburgh folk were emptying their chamber pots out the window and shouting Garde Lou in the 19th century AD. And here we are 2,000 years before Christ. They had two-story tenements and mains drainage. And the two great... Uh, areas of interest in excavation are first of all the royal cemeteries because you've got the best artefacts left there and there's some beautiful artefacts in there if you ever get the chance look them up <coughs> and uh, see all the magnificent stuff a game rather like our game backgammon and some of the girls you know that you would take them out on a Saturday night you fellas um, terrific looking lasses all made up with uh, all the kind of makeup. And they were part of the civilization at Earth. So the, the royal cemeteries were very good to look at. The, the houses of the poor were, of course, made of wood and, and all collapsed <laughs> and disintegrated. But the royal area, the palaces were made of stone and marble and stuff like that. And you could examine them. And uh, that, that was really tremendous. Uh, and so, here's what happened. The, the 19th into the 20th century belief about the Old Testament was somewhat uh, upset by archaeological discovery. You know? The stratification process that Sir Flinders Petrie developed was a, it became part and parcel. Um, the other famous site to look at and this strikes a chord with me too, was the rubbish dumps. <laughs> you can tell an awful lot from the royal cemeteries, and you can tell an awful lot from the rubbish dumps. And some beautiful artefacts were there. And so the, the balance shifted again from totally rejecting what the Old Testament story was to saying, hey, maybe there's something in that right enough. When God said to Abraham, leave all this stuff behind and go to a place where I will lead you to the land of Canaan. And so on. Um, and the British Museum has lots of these treasures. And the Old Testament, rather, instead of being debunked all the time, people came to realize, as Martin Luther said, the Old Testament is the cradle in which the Christ child is laid. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. What is latent in the Old Testament becomes patent in the New Testament. You can, you can trust what God has written in his word. So that when you get to the New Testament times in 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul says to young Timothy, All scripture is theonustos, that is a God-breathed, either God-breathed into it, inspiration, or God-breathed it out, expiration. But it's suitable for all manner of Christian living. 
Um, and uh, you'll read all about that in 2 Timothy 3 verses um, 15 and 16 and in 2 Peter 1 verses 20 and 21 Peter says about the folk that wrote the Old Testament men they were but driven along by the Holy Spirit they wrote the words of God um, and these are very powerful verbs it's used of of the wind driving Paul's ship in a storm in the Mediterranean it's as if the Holy Spirit filled their sails and drove them along to write the words of God and that's why I can justify speaking about Old Testament character speaking about Abraham speaking about Joseph and Moses and David and Jeremiah and all these great saints and it's 20 past 7 and I haven't even started yet <laughs> but the principles that we have in the scripture not just the facts we have in the scripture the principles we have in the scriptures about these men of God and women of God in the Old Testament are long term and uniformly relevant to us today so when we look at the life of Abraham we see an exercise in godly living that is appropriate to us today. So it's really good to, to consider the Old Testament and to consider the character of Abraham. And I would, if I were looking for a slogan, I would say an exercise in godly living. Look at the life of Abraham. And the, the, fact, the features I'm going to pull out in the, the short time available to us um, are features that apply to us today and the first one is recognition recognition we have to admit our need and the story of Abraham starts off with a family isn't it? it's, a, it's, an, it's an everyday story of country folk um, they're on the move and they settle in Haran they settle in Ur of the Chaldees and God's voice comes through the family do you have any needs in your family? Abraham had needs in his family and his old dad Terah died um, and he had bereavement, he had to face bereavement and he had to face uncertain circumstances and today we've got that to face in our own families haven't we? all of us um, beneath uh, the, the smile of the clown is a bleeding heart we often say and in each of our lives, if we were to get up here and give a story about our family, we'd probably discover that we've got great needs for our family. And if we're looking for guidance, Abraham had to find guidance from God. And he found that. Today, guidance to me is a, it's a fourfold thing. How does God guide us? Well, you see, He guides us through prayer. The Christian life is a life where we bring our needs to God and admit them before Him and confess them before Him. Before Him, guidance comes through prayer. It comes through Bible reading, uh, and this word comes alive to us as we read it. Prayer 
Bible reading, circumstances and advice from good Christian friends. These are the four factors in guidance. Prayer, Bible reading, circumstance and advice. Um, and you learn as you admit your need to God and recognize that he is in charge of your life. God leads you along. Absolutely leads you along in the way of his path. Number one, recognition. Admit your need. Abraham admitted his need and he followed God's guidance. Second thing is renunciation. Abandon your past. That's the second one. One is admit your need. Number two is abandon your past. And that's a principle that holds good for all people um, who need to come to Christ for salvation. Abandon your past. Don't copy its lifestyle, but learn its lessons. We've all got to learn lessons from the past. I had lessons to learn. Lots of I've learned so much from my wife. Jean was brought up in a lovely Christian home. She said, you know, when I was a wee girl, my parents taught me to tithe, to take a tenth of my pocket money and give it away to God's work. And she said, eh, could we do that when we get married? And this was quite new to me. And so for 52 years, we've been giving away a tenth of everything that comes our way. And we've never been poor. We've been at times needy. <laughs> but we've never been desperate. We've never been hungry. God has guided us. I had to learn amazing principles. I, I, I had to learn negatively from the past where um, everything was geared to alcohol. Or so it seemed. When I was sent to the pub on every Saturday night to collect my father and walk him along the canal bank in case he fell in the canal. I gave my mother some insurance. And I was just a wee talk. I don't know what I, what I would have done if he fell in the canal. I couldn't have done a thing. But I gave her a kind of insurance. And I, I wasn't allowed in the pub because I was a wee boy. I had to stand outside the pub and wait till he had finished drinking. I learned lessons from that. And one of them had nothing to do with the gospel at that time. I stood outside that pub and I made a promise to myself. That if, when I grew up I wouldn't drink. Drink brought us so much misery. Learn to abandon your past, to learn its lessons and don't copy its style. You know, and here, it says here in chapter 12 that the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people and your father's household. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is metanoia in Greek. It means a change of mind. Which implies a change in direction. Where you turn from following your own way to following God's way. And that's what Abram had to learn. He had to learn to admit his need. He had to learn to abandon his past. Sarah, Sarah was, uh, was de dead. And he had to go in a new direction. That's what um, repentance is. You go in a new direction. And instead of you guiding your life, you hand your life over to God. And he guides you. Instead of going that away, you go this away. <laughs> you go God's way instead of your own. That's called renunciation, isn't it? There's recognition admitting your need. There's renunciation abandoning your past. And the third thing is resolution. 
resolution, accept God's plan. God had a plan for Abram. It tried. God had tried, um, and he had to send a flood, hadn't he? And what happened? The man who was found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What was the first thing he does when he comes out of the ark? He gets drunk and he exposes himself. Human nature is still rotten after the flood, <laughs> as it was before the flood. Um, and God had to had to develop His plan, and His plan was to make a nation, and the nation was the Jewish nation, and the Jewish nation was to become the vehicle of God's revelation to the world, and through the tribe, the tribe of Judah. The Lord Jesus Christ was born and God in the fullness of time sent his son born of a woman born under the law Paul says in Galatians uh, and through him God's plan of salvation was focused and filtered as we accept God's plan of salvation for us we repent and we believe and Christ becomes our saviour. And the name change is symbolic. You know, in the early parts of these chapters about Abraham, he's called Abraham, R-A-M, isn't that right? And then it becomes Abraham. You know, well, Av in Hebrews, a father. And Avram, Ram means high, tall, exalted. Avram, he was an exalted father. And he becomes Avraham, the father of a crowd, the father of a multitude, the father of a nation. And he gets a name change. And it's a kind of symbolic thing. Abraham becomes Avraham. The exalted father becomes the father of a crowd. And God moves into Abraham's life in a new way. And he resolves to accept God's plan and I remember when you're Finley I think it was two and would it be two it must have been one some uh, when I taught him how to walk you know there's a wee in Buckhaven Baptist Church Mans, as Eileen will tell you there was a wee gap between the living room and the kitchen and I said to him one day walk like a penguin Finley and I walked like that and he walked behind me <laughs> and I taught him how to walk <laughs> and when you become a Christian and you admit you're needing you abandon your past and you accept God's plan <sighs> you start walking with God walking with God so the fourth one's regulation um, there's recognition and renunciation and resolution and then there's regulation. You agree with God's promise. And you walk with him. There's a tremendous statement about a man in Genesis chapter 5. When I was five years old, I've got, I had an Auntie Nelly. Everybody should have an Auntie Nelly. She was in the Salvation Army. She was the only Christian connection in our family. She was known as the Hallelujah. And when I was five years old, she gave me a Bible. And uh, 
I thought it was just like a book you started at the beginning when you read right through. Well, I was, my mother told me I could read by the time I went to school, but I think that was just the, the, the misty, rosy view of a mother. I mean, I knew I could read the dandy and stuff like that before I went to school. But I started reading and I got through to chapter 5 of Genesis. And it says, so and so lived so many years and he died. And then the next guy, he lived so many years and he died. The next guy was born and lived so many years. And I thought, he died, he died. What, what use is that to me? And I gave up reading the Bible when I was five. Okay. Um, until I came to know the Lord and the Bible became a new book. But in Genesis 5, there's a statement about a man called Enoch. And it says, Enoch walked with God. And then I looked up, when I started being a preacher, I used to look up the meanings of all the words. Uh, and I looked up this verb, I was expecting it to be in the simple present tense, uh, past tense, uh, Enoch walked with God. That would be in the Cal in Hebrew. The Cal mood of the verb is just the straightforward past. And then I discovered it's not in the Cal. It's in the Hith pile. Big deal, says you. Um, the Hith pile, what does that mean? Well, that's a mood of the verb. It can be understood as positive reflexive. And you can translate it like this. Enoch caused himself to walk with God. In other words, I don't know what kind of footwear he had. I mean, I've got cheap footwear. Um, but some sort of primitive sandals, I guess, you know. And every morning when he wakened up, he used to pull on his sandals and he used to say, Today I'm going to walk with God. And that's what Abraham did. He walked with God. Walk like a soldier. <laughs> Walk like a penguin. <laughs> you know, and his pace was the pace that God had set for him. And <clears throat> an interesting thing in Romans chapter 4, you can read it for yourself, and in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, We walk in step with Abraham. Father Abraham head of the Jewish nation, you walk in step with him. What does it mean? Well, the answer is, we believe in the same kind of thing that Abraham believed in. And Abraham believed in a God who brought life from the dead. Twice in his career, I can think of. The first one was when uh, he was told that Sarah would have a child. And in Glasgow, in Smithycroft, the pupils were said, Aye, you wish. <laughs> Aye, you wish. I'm 90 year old. <laughs> How can I have a child? And it tells you also, she was doing a keyhole cake behind the flap of the tent, and she overheard this. <laughs> and she laughed. <laughs> and when the child was actually born, his name was Isaac, and she called, she called him Isaac, which means, Yitzchak means, ha ha. <laughs> it means, you're laughing, you know, it's a joke. And she was rebuked for it, but that's another story. But, um, it says, Abraham believed God. 
and we are the people of the resurrection we believe God that God brought the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead we don't worship a dead hero we walk with a risen Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit within us he guides us every day our lives are regulated by God there was one day in Portobello I was going out to do visit. I was the kind of guy that used to go visit and I was very interested to go visit and all the people and see what kind of houses they lived in and see what kind of people they were and I, had, I used to plan my visiting I'm sure Alec Russell did this <clears throat> used to plan your visiting I mean, I, every, the pattern was generally study in the morning, visit in the afternoon go to meetings at night <laughs> That's the general structure. And I'd planned my visiting this day. And I got out of the car to start my visiting in the afternoon. And God said, no, you're not going there. You're going here. And I went to the promenade in Portobello and rang the doorbell. And a woman answered the door. And she just stood at the door and she said, God sent you here today. I said, what's wrong? She said, my son put a pipe from his exhaust pipe into the car and tried to kill himself last night. I need you very much to come in and pray for us. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's amazing, isn't it? It shouldn't be amazing to us. It should be part of our general uh, acceptance of God's plan every day to walk with God. I was going to preach, was, uh, the Finlay Tabernacle was announced. I was going to preach there once and I had decided what my sermon was and I looked it all up and I had it all ready. And in the way there, God said no. No. <laughs> and I preached on, isn't this the carpenter? And they're going out the door and the guy says, I'm down from, uh, I think it was Stornoway. He says, I'm down from Stornoway, and God meant that message for me this morning. He says, I'm a joiner. <laughs> now, how would I anticipate there'd be a joiner there and I speak about Jesus the carpenter? And God spoke to him. I went to a place in East Bride once, and once again I changed my message. I don't do this a lot, but I changed my message and I preached on, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat but when you are converted strengthen your brothers you know that text in Luke 22 31 I think it is and um, a girl going out the door she was 24 year old she said that message was for me this morning she said I've been involved in uh, demons and devils and stuff like that could you lead me to Jesus and I led her to Jesus in the vestry, got one of the elders in and we counselled the lady yeah that, that's two cases or I'll give you another example, one quick example I was to go to Alan Glenn's on teaching practice you know and uh, I was to study for six weeks under the principal teacher of religious education and like so often happened in, in teaching the principal teacher of religious education had a nervous breakdown <laughs> with me it was the children and nervous breakdowns but uh, <laughs> they said we can't send you to Alan Glenn's which will, but we've, we really have searched to find a place for you but there's this school over in the east of Glasgow next door to Berlin Prison <laughs> and the head teacher is willing to take you if you're willing to come 
he's got an old gentleman teaching there who's struggling really you know you'll be actually able to help him more than he'll be able to help you and I went into the building and as I walked in the front door I don't have much hair I had a wee bit more hair at that time but the hair in the back of my neck stood on its end and I thought this is the place and I hadn't met a teacher and I hadn't met a child and I knew that was the place God wanted me to teach and I was there for 12 years teaching and at the end of my teaching practice the boss said have you got a job for next year and so I said no are you looking for a job I said yeah would you like to come here I would love to come here God is that kind of God we admit our need Abraham did we abandon our past Abraham did we accept God's plan recognition, renunciation, resolution and then regulation we agree with God's promise and God blesses us and we walk with him let's pray together oh God we thank you for your precious word this is an old battered copy I'm holding you know that Lord but we thank you your word is a living word and you still speak to us and you speak to us through these great godly men in the past like Abraham Lord be with us this week in all that we have to do we pray that we may know your hand of blessing on us your hand of guidance your hand of strengthening and forgiveness help us to repent and believe where we need to and to follow you faithfully where you guide us for Jesus sake Amen.